Welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 5 episode, Strange Relations. So, uh, th this episode's quite interesting because it's, it's furthering a lot of plot lines and has a very strong thematic core um, that I think a lot of people look over um, and uh, don't quite get, even though it's very blatant. So, I think I'll start with the marriage stuff, because that's where the, uh, the, the symbology of the, the Femenic Core really becomes overt, in my opinion. And it gets more overt by the time we get to the Londo and Jakar stuff. Uh, th this entire episode is about overcoming the strange relations between multiple parties, hence the name. How certain parties, uh, either that be races telepaths, various political parties, what have you, they all have their natural grievances with each other, uh, some very serious ones at that, uh, and ultimately at the end of the day, the only way that this is going to get resolved is if they come together and start working together, which is what the ISA represents. But that is easier said than done, and so in many factions we have a symbol that is being placed to say, hey, you know, we can work together. Uh, we, we get that with uh, Lockley. Uh, she was on the opposing side. She, was, uh, she, she wasn't specifically a member of the Clark regime, but she was fighting on that side, simply because she, uh, as stated in the last episode, does not believe at all in the, in the ability for a military person to state policy. That, that is fundamentally against her morals. Uh, and what I like about this is that, you know, w we know why Sheridan brought her on board, which, which was ultimately because he knew that she was on the other side. He knew he could trust her because they've known each other and they were married. And he knew that that sort of spitfire attitude she has would go really well in sort of negotiating the line between commander and president on the station. Very good choice. Um, obviously, the the failed dramatics of the the marriage thing, I think, is a weak spot. There was no reason for it to be held a mystery for what six episodes at this point, uh, and, and and there was no reason for us not to see uh, Sheridan tell Delin last episode and sort of leave it up as a mystery what's going on because within the first 30 seconds of this episode the entire situation is resolved between Delin and Lockley so what was the point of the of the the, the, the fake traumatics you know it, it's a cheap ploy to get the viewers interested I don't really buy it it's rather shallow and weak but I said that last time as well now what makes the marriage interesting? I notice a lot of people, I've seen a lot of discourse online about this season, both good and for ill, uh, and some people mentioned that Lockley being married to Sheridan adds nothing. That it means nothing. Uh, and it's just there to be a cheap, dramatic gag for the end of an episode. That is actually not true. The symbology of marriage is two souls becoming one. That you're two disparate people who, uh, you know, come from different backgrounds. You're wholly different people, but you believe in the idea that you will come together uh, and create a new life together. You are ultimately becoming one. 
united front. Um, in Christian uh, marriage ceremonies, the husband and the wife uh, will light one candle together, each representing their light. Then they light a new candle together at the same time, representing their new life as one being. If it's not blatantly obvious, that's what this entire episode is about, is getting over personal biases, becoming a symbol of togetherness, and uh, despite very, very understandable grievances, looking past that to the future and say, let's get along, let's get better, make the future just a little bit brighter. Uh, and, I mean, that's very blatant, uh, not only with the Earth Civil War stuff and why Sheridan picked her, and there's, of course, the obvious symbology of that marriage, but also look at Londo and Jakar. Jakar being made Londo's bodyguard is hilarious, certainly, from uh, from a sort of character standpoint, because, you know, there's a sense of irony there, and how much they hated each other back uh, several seasons ago, and now they're quite buddy-buddy together, and it's just inherently funny, and it's got an inherent comedic effect to it. But on a more serious note, it's about the Narns and the Centauri coming together, two of their most important people, uh, and coming together and just ignoring, not, not necessarily doing away with, but deciding to not acknowledge the past and just move on. To say, hey, this shit happened, it was bad, it was horrible, but let's try and make amends. Just maybe, maybe make that little bit of the future just a little bit better. Uh, and so, luckily, in Sheridan's marriage, does serve a purpose. It is a symbolic gesture. <laughs> I mean, that is what marriage is in a nutshell. It's a symbolic gesture. Uh, and that this right here, it's all about symbology of two parties coming together to become one. And speaking of luckily, I like I like her interactions with Garibaldi this episode. Like I, I mentioned before, her, her interactions with Garibaldi often tend to be the best bits uh, with her. And ultimately, in this episode, we really see uh, when they have a very frank discussion in the brig, why that is. Ultimately, they are both control freaks. Uh, they are both very determined, very individualistic people who need to be on top. You know, they need to be the, the one people answer to. Uh, and at the end of the day that's going to cause some tension. Uh, th this parallels into Sheridan and Lockley's marriage of the reason why he broke up only after a couple of weeks was because, you know, in a marriage you have to take turns and none of them re were really willing to take turns. And so you see with uh, Garibaldi and Lockley that they are very similar people. Uh, they comment things from a different angle and they have different goals. But at the end of the day they have very similar characteristics and this will be expanded upon as the season goes on in I think quite interesting ways um and I won't spoil that for you if you haven't watched it because uh the first part of that's coming up in a couple episodes and it'll come up again later near the end of the season uh it's really well done I also like how Lockley is effectively Sinclair uh that 
what she does is she... I, I think I talked about this when uh, the switchover between Sinclair and Sheridan happened. You know, Sinclair uh, tried to be a bit more diplomatic about things uh, and see every side, try and maneuver his way through laws and legalities uh, to make every party happy or at least get on a side that would not benefit one side over the other. Uh, and we see with Lockley, she's got a very similar method. Uh, you know, Sheridan is a very much a headstrong person, comes at it from a moralistic standpoint, biff, bang, boom. Um, he's very much the soldier. Uh, uh, and Lockley is trying to mediate everything between all these people. And this is ultimately, in many ways, a powder keg situation. The telepath situation is, you know, in this episode, it is the, the fuse is extinguished, but the fuse is still sitting there. Uh, and they got 60 days to pull that fuse out. Otherwise, shit's going to go down. And the way she finds, you know, a maneuver uh, in the law to say, hey, yeah, Technically, we have to acquiesce to the Psychor's request, but the Psychor has to wait X amount of days due to, you know, X and X law. It is very much what Sinclair did uh, back in uh, By Any Means Necessary, season one with the dock workers. Um, and and I, I like how she maneuvers around everything, and she she's... And I like how she calls Sheridan out on his bullshit of... Uh, Sheridan has a lot of personal experience with Bester. The entire crew really does outside of Lockley. Uh, and she's only had one real experience with him. And she says, I certainly don't trust him. He doesn't seem the trustworthy sort. And his organization is questionable. As Sheridan says, fascists are us. Uh, but at the end of the day, he is part of an organization that she has to uh, respect. Uh, Bester has never done anything to... Uh, personally harm her and at the end of the day if she listened and did not uh you know take a personal uh look at things then she would have viewed sheridan as a war criminal and a terrorist but she knows he's anything but that but that's what the clark regime was pumping out uh as propaganda so she needs to get a personal look at Bester. and yeah she certainly doesn't trust him, but he, she, he provided no reason for her not to treat him with some modicum of respect. Granted, that's all a mask by Bester. He's an absolute asshole, as we well know, but it's understandable from her position to take a step back and go, I have no personal connection. And when you have no personal connection, you tend to have a more detached, logical, and reasonable look at things. Emotions blind us to facts, ultimately, at the end of the day. Um, I also like how Bester, uh, Walt Koenig, of course, is always fantastic, but in this episode, uh, there are two scenes that Walt Koenig plays in such a way that it already makes the incredibly uneasy nastiness of Bester and your love-to-hate-him mentality just get a bit more icky. So when Garibaldi rushes in, pure anger because of everything that happened to him in regards to Bester last season... Uh, you know, the moment Bester sees him charge in, he just smiles the biggest old grin. 
because there are spoilers of why he's smiling uh, outside of the I let you live and now you get to live a life of you know, shit because I gave you that. Uh, as I said, he wasn't he, he was feigning not being capricious by not killing him. In actual fact, he chose the cruelest of all cruel fates to give Garibaldi. Uh, and it shows here that he's sort of reveling in that. Uh, you know, him and Garibaldi always had a sort of a interesting, quibbing rivalry with each other since the very first episode of Mind War. Uh, and so here, Bester clearly has the upper hand all the way, and is just rubbing it in Garibaldi's face. This will come back later in the season. For spoiler reasons, I will not say. And I won't have a spoiler section either, because it's, it's, it's interesting to talk in context. And, and there's another scene where uh, where Lita is doing the standoff with the Bloodhounds. Uh, and Bester's there. And Bester's noticing that, you know, this is not only showing just how powerful she is, she is getting tired, certainly, and she has an exhaustion point. She's not all-powerful. She is so significantly pow powerful compared to everyone, including him, that he's taking a sick perversion out of watching his people's asses get handed to them by her just, as, just out of curiosity. Uh, you know, it's that pure scientific curiosity that uh, really brings out the nastiness in his belief in superiority in telepathic beings. Uh, and it really shows what the way Walter Koenig is playing, that it's almost like a perverse fetish-type thing he's watching. Now, the Byron stuff... Uh, what's interesting about Byron is that he, at the end of the day, is a martyr. He's got a severe martyr complex. Uh, there's, uh, you know, it's... He believes so firmly in his position... He is willing to lay down his life for that. Many people would view that as heroic, and in many respects that is heroic and that is noble. However, to willingly go to your death, knowing that there are other alternatives, is very clearly almost verging on suicidal, and it's not healthy at all. It is not healthy behavior. Uh, Zach even says that this situation is going to get ugly because of the, the way he's acting. He's seen people like him before. He's a martyr. He may be noble in his quote-unquote suffering, but at the end of the day, you know, he is a dangerous person because guess what? Martyrs make things a hell of a lot more complicated than they already were. You also notice that he is not really able to drop that uh, telepathic superiority thing, a thing he has in common with Bester. Uh, and the parallels between him and Bester have been building, and in this episode we get hints that they have a personal connection. But when when he's talk when the bloodhounds first arrive, and he tells Lita the you know to search and and find out that they're here, he doesn't say just reach out with your mind. No, he has to say you know break down those walls that the mundanes force you to build. It's like. Okay, you are really hammering home that I'm oppressed, I'm abused mentality. And they certainly are. They are oppressed, they are abused. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not only reasonable for uh, 
telepaths to have walls up. I brought this up a couple episodes ago. It's analogous to public indecency. You're not going to pull your pants down. It may be a part of your bio biology as a human being, but not everybody needs to see it, nor is it correct to do it. But it's also just showing how him and Bester are, once again, same people, opposite sides. Both believe in the ultimate superiority of the telepaths. Uh, but uh, one wants to sort of live a separate life away from everyone else. And Bester wants to control. Uh, and, and I kind of feel sorry for Lita for getting ramped up into all this. And we'll see how that progresses throughout the season. But we see that she doesn't even ask Franklin about his medical supplies to bring them to the telepath colony. She just steals from him and he when he finds out he's like you know you could have just asked and i would have given them to you it's showing that lita her time with byron you know and her previous experiences especially last season being dumped by the forlorns mistrusted by you know sheridan and co zach being the only real one to pay attention to her and show kindness towards her and not use her as just a telepath um, that mentality has gone to her head, so she now sees mundanes as not trustful. Even someone as kind and as honest as Franklin, who she spent personal time with last season, and he showed nothing but kindness and respect to her and stood up for her when the Mars resistance was hateful towards her as a telepath, she still can't trust him because she has now been swallowed into Byron's and ultimately Bastard's as well, view of us versus them and there's so many horrible horrible things that happen in this world because us versus them the telepaths have honest grievances that need to be resolved that need to be fixed but the moment they shut themselves away and say it's us and then you you are the problem that glosses over all the nuances of the situation and proves just how far they have fallen uh, you can't fix a problem by ignoring the rest of the problems, by focusing on only one issue and saying we are pure and wonderful and the bad guys are evil and horrible. At the end of the day, Psychor is evil and horrible. The telepath colony is very cult-like, and that becomes even more blatant with their song at the end, uh, complete with religious symbology. Uh, and so, you know, there's this... There's this idea that these sides are not, you, you know, are ultimately two sides of the same coin, and someone needs to step in the middle and get this resolved in a much more peaceful, much more reasonable way. But because the world is shitty and horrible, even in B5, uh, you know, that probably won't happen because everybody brings their own personal biases and politics to the situation, and ultimately, us versus them very rarely ever gets resolved in a peaceful manner. Instead, everybody becomes more radicalized and feeds into their own political bubble. And at the end of the day, it becomes, uh, you know, analogous to something from season two of green, purple, green, purple. But overall, I really like this episode. Uh, I like how uh, there's just this very subtle scene, uh, no words necessary, of... You know, Lita goes and sees Zack helping the Psychor capture some of the telepath colonies. And that's when she, she just turns around. 
you know, she's disgusted by it. There was no words necessary to show that betrayal. It the only person, the only non telepath in the main character's group that showed her kindness and respect and never looked at her as just a telepath and also has, you know, romantic feelings towards her and she knows this. Um is now helping her enemy. That that obvious betrayal and that really clearly cements her radicalization with Byron. Uh which ultimately ends with you know, that song at the end, which I mentioned, you know, is very cult-like with religious symbology, but it's also sweet in its own way of these people who have been abused and oppressed coming together and saying, we can work through it. We can be better. And if only they would actually listen to those words rather than just sing it. Um, I'm reminded of a, uh, a scene I, uh, I saw uh, recently where this rock star was talking to a fan, and this fan knew every word of the song, but didn't understand the thematics of it, then on the themes. He's like, this guy can recite every lyric. You know, he, he knows everything about the song, except what it is actually about. And I think that's sad. And ultimately, I think that's the point of that scene, uh, is that, you know, as per the name, the strange relations between uh, parties... It's going to be uh, is arduous and violent oftentimes and is a result of tons of political turmoil and personal turmoil and biases. But at the end of the day, we must, you know, bridge that gap, find some way, the karate symbol, to get over it. Uh, and at least the Norns and the Centauri potentially might be succeeding in that. We'll find out later. Anyway, I shall see you next time. Till then, bye. <laughs>